friends, and welcome to the Walnut Creek Baptist Church podcast. We hope that you find today's message to be both encouraging and edifying for your life. If you are interested in our church, we would love to connect with you in the days ahead, and there are a few ways to do that. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, find us on the web at wcbaptist.com, or the best way is to download our church app by searching Walnut Creek Baptist in the Apple and Google Play app stores. Thank you for your support as we continue our mission of disciples making disciples. Well, good morning to all those at Walnut Creek Baptist Church and all those who are watching online as well. And I look forward to this very short series for three weeks as we lead into Christmas. And even though these messages aren't surrounded by the Christmas story, uh, I believe it will help us out as we look at the book of Acts. Now, we're just going to look at three uh, different portions of Scripture, and I've titled this series about church in Christ, community in crisis. And I don't think it would be, I would have to do a lot of leg pulling, I would have to do a lot of arm twisting to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the community, not just where we live, everywhere, is in a major crisis. And what is it that the Bible has to say that will give us some answers to where we're to go, how we're to act, and what we're to do. There's a crisis everywhere. And today we're going to look at this subject matter of a church, a church being formed. Now, if you're not much a student of the Bible, I want to tell you that Acts chapter 2, most people believe we find the beginning, the first portion of where the church is actually mentioned. At least a group of believers who've gathered together to worship. It's the beginning of the church, right here in Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts is a transition book from the gospel records to the epistles. And the epistles talk about the form, uh, how the church is to behave, the doctrine of the church, and, uh, and those type of things. But we find in Acts chapter 2, the formation of a church. The beginning. Now if you want to find, you say... I'm a Bible believer, I believe the Word of God is true, it's inerrant, it's without error, then you're in the right place. If we were to look at the church, what were some of the characteristics of the very first church, we must throw ourselves back to Acts chapter 2. And we look, it's the beginning, it's the start. Now if you look at Acts chapter 2, just let's walk through a couple of verses before I open in prayer. It says there, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now right here in verse number 42 is all the church really needs to know as far as its formation and what the church is supposed to do. It says here, the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. Teach, doctrine means teaching. A church ought to be steadfastly preaching and teaching the Word of God. The Apostles' Doctrine was what we now have as the Word of God, the New Testament. And then something that is left out, I believe, in a lot of places, and fellowship. We'll talk about that. There's a second thing that was very much paramount to be found in the New Testament church. In American Christianity, Western Christianity, since the last hundred years, church has become a congregation of large buildings where you go and hear a wonderful message expounded by the Word of God, but fellowship has somewhat been left out. And then it says the breaking of bread, which would be representation of the Lord's table, communion. We talk about that, and there's some other areas. I'll, I'll, I'll 
unpack that in a minute. And prayers. Four things, ladies and gentlemen, we find in the New Testament church, the first church. And then verse number 43, it says, And awe came among every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now we know those signs and wonders were to point to Jesus Christ. They were, they were all pointed towards the start of the church, and as we understand through the epistle records, that they were later would be done away with. But it doesn't mean that a church should not have awe and wonder. There should, not be, there should be excitement. There should be change and transformation taking place. A church that has a lack of change and transformation in people's lives is what I call, everybody look here, a dead, lifeless church. People should be changed. God should be reaching out into the community. And we should see new life. And that's what we're seeing there. Then we see in verse number, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, sharing, helping, not just with your giving, but serving. One pastor said it this way, people come to church for an event, they should come to church to worship and to serve. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. God bless you. When I was gone, I was shocked. I said, you know, it was so good to hear that our church is reaching out and all of the opportunities to reach into some of these nonprofits we're helping with have all been taken. They were all done. The BRN called but one time that we had a, 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 an outreach for the tornado victims in Kentucky and we filled the whole foyer with stuff. That's a church that's not just self-consumed. Looking into the community. And then it goes on and says, he says, and day by day, attending the temple. Now, that was not a church service. That wasn't a preaching service. In fact, it's not even Christian. They were still transitioning from their Jewish background. They're going into the temple every day. But, and, see the word and? Don't make sure you forget that. But they were also transitioning, breaking bread in their homes as they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. The beginning of the church. By the way, unlike some may have been taught or heard, they didn't go to the temple to hear a gospel message. They were going to the temple to hear the Torah and the Old Testament as it was expounded. They were Jewish believers. But there was a separation taking part as they were now breaking bread and homes and starting home churches all through Jerusalem. One writer said it could have been up to 50 to 100 churches were started as a result of the 3,000 that were saved. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to preach a message I've simply titled this morning, A Church is Formed. Let's pray together. Can we do that? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the privilege that You give us to meet together. To have fellowship. To hear the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would move in my heart in the hearts of the people here. And whatever You would have us to do, Lord, let this not be just a 
duty or a habit or a box that's checked. But let us leave as a changed people. Some here this morning need to come to know Christ as their Savior, not as some decision as a prayer, but a conviction of sin and crying unto God for their salvation to save their soul. Help us, Lord Jesus, to look at this church, the first church, and help us to gravitate, to mimic and to copy some of the things we see here in our lives. Fill me with the Spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we see here the big idea that we're finding here this morning regarding a church, obedience to Scripture, and forming disciples, making relationships, define the early church. There was a statement that came years ago, was back in the 60s and 70s, and um, a lot of great commentators and preachers would say this, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to what the Bible says, not what culture says, not what society says. And I want to say today, getting back to the Bible is what does the Bible say is the role of the church? We find in the Bible that we find the book of Acts define the formation of church. First and second Timothy and Titus as what we call the pastoral epistles, which tells us how the church is to behave itself and what it's supposed to do. And we find as we go and we tear all of that apart and break it down, so much of what we do has very little biblical, at least connecting the dots to what the Bible says in faith and practice sometimes. Let's get back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Forming in the first church. This was a community and crisis. Jesus had been crucified. He had risen at this point, shown Himself to over 500 people. At the time, we're, at, at the time that we're referencing here, the Jews that are in charge are beside themselves. The Romans who are politically in charge are wondering, is there going to be an uprising? The Spirit would move in the first part of Acts, which we'll throw ourselves out just for a moment, and 3,000 people get saved. Can you imagine such a thing? My wife and I, when we were in Israel back in 2013, we were at that portion of the temple. It would be on the southern, southwestern corner. And they found in some excavations the Roman bathhouses there. And when they excavated them up, right on the corner of the side of the original of the, of the Temple Mount, there are bathhouses, and it's been said that that's where they were baptized. They would go in one side, go through the bathhouse, and come out. Ends one side, go in, and it's, that's where they were baptized. 3,000! Just to let you know, they didn't have a baptistry tank behind the pulpit. Because the pulpit didn't exist, and baptistry tanks did not either. I was sitting there, I was watching, I was, as we were looking at these bathhouses, and I was seeing uh, the, the actual stairs that they had excavated that maybe, maybe Peter had preached on, and I'm going, it just gave me the heebie-jeebies. Anybody get that? You know, you get the goosebumps. Man, I got goosebumps. I'm saying, man, this is where it all started. What I do back in Erie, Pennsylvania, what God's called me to do, the, it all got started right in this little corner, right around here. I saw that. That's where we're at today in the Scriptures. By the way, 
if you use our modern way of thinking, that's not the time to start a church. The whole place is a mess. That's not, let's wait till everything lines up a little better. No, they started a church in the middle of a crisis. Maybe they were thinking we need to hide or somebody's going to kill us. The old paths of Judaism are being challenged. They may take us out. So the big idea we find here in this church is their obedience to Scripture and forming disciple-making relationships. That's what we see in the first church. Many people today think about the church as a building. That's not the understanding we find in the Word of God. The word church comes from a Greek word. It depends on how you want to pronounce ecclesia. It's defined as assembly or called out ones. The meaning of church is not that of a building, but of people. In fact, Romans 6, 5 says, greet the church that is in their house. In other words, when he, he defines that the church, the people are in this house. The church is people. Called out ones. Paul refers to the church not as a building, but a body of believers. Now, Pentecost had taken place, and that's where the reference of all what had been going on. If you turn to the very beginning of Acts, turn to Acts chapter 1, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, the first part of that, and I want to read a couple verses for you to give you a little bit of the background of what's going on. This is the Feast of Pentecost, the Day of Pentecost. This was a Jewish festival Originally, it was named Shavat, Festival of Weeks. God had commanded the Jews to count seven full weeks beginning on the second day after the Passover and then lasting an ordinance, uh, present offerings of new, an ordinance of new grain to the Lord. That's where it came, the festival, or excuse me, the Feast of Weeks. Later was renamed Pentecost. The incidents that we're going to look at today come at the end of that, and that's the churches formed after during this, this massive festival that was taking place in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 transpire against the backdrop of this celebration. It starts by stating how the apostles have gathered in one place at the day of Pentecost. And then all of a sudden, there's a mighty sound there a mighty sound from wind and heaven filled the entire room. The apostles noticed what appeared to be tongues of fire that split apart and landed on each of them. Afterward, the Holy Spirit filled them with a presence and they spoke in known, excuse me, known languages. I'm not going to go into that today, but there were known languages. When you see the word tongues, even though it says tongues shall be done away with, shall be removed, they were speaking known languages, not angelic jibber jabber. Known languages. There were numbers of nations who had, who had come to Jerusalem in a pilgrimage from different countries. And I'm not going to get into finding all of those. We find that in Acts chapter 2. But in order to hear the Word of God, they had to hear it in their own language. That's why we have an English speaking, an English Bible. We don't speak out of the Latin or the Hebrew or the Greek. Because God wants us to understand the Word of God in what? Our language. Speaking of tongues was a known language here in Acts chapter 2. I could speak the rest of the time, but that's not what this message is about. But that's what was going on. Something magnificent from God is happening. 
We can't define it, but we know it's from God. The wondrous things of God are being spoken. Look what it says in verse number 1. Verse number 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, all were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven, verse number 2, a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared upon them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Other languages. Glossa. G-L-O-S-S-I-S. The Greek. It's a language. Somebody understood it. The miracle we find is people were speaking in languages they did not no, for instance, I would get up here and start speaking in French. That would be a miracle, right? But somebody would understand French. And that's what was going on because multiple languages were there. Verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout Jews, men from every nation under heaven. Somebody had to hear it. In their language. Peter explains and preaches that the mir- about the miracles and the sign. Later on, he preaches all the way up to verse number 36. About what it means. He gave a, a message about Jesus Christ and how you people crucified Him. Now look at verse number 36. Peter's preaching. So tongues had come upon the, the apostles. They were preaching in languages that people understood the things of God. In fact, they were. People says, "Are they drunken?" Peter said, "No, they're not drunken. It's it's too early in the day for them to, to, to be drunken. They're preaching the things of God. They're preaching the Bible. They're preaching the wonderful things of the Lord." And it says in verse number thirty-six, Peter rears back and he preaches a message and says, "Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made them both Lord, has made both Lord and Christ." This Jesus whom you crucified. Now that's not going to go real well. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God comes and dwells in you. The prophecy of Joel will take place. Joel. Verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized and they were added that day. Don't miss this. 3,000 souls. There it is. 3,000 were saved. They were speaking languages they did not know. A loud sound from a rushing wind. Tongues of fire rested upon them. And many nations were there. Thousands were attendants. Something is happening. Peter preaches a sermon. It cuts to the heart. And there we have a very brief background 
of what I'm going to speak on this morning as far as the text. So what is the first characteristic of the church? Number one, the church was devoted to Scripture. Scripture. The Bible should be taught and preached and explained in the church. How can it be a church if the Bible is not taught and preached? Period. End of sentence. Now, there can be abuse of the Word of God. I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. I know that I have personalities. I have temperaments that I pray. I prayed this morning. Do not let this message be mine. Let it be from God. That's why I constrict, I force myself when I preach just to preach expository messages as I go through various texts in the Bible. I am not a topical preacher. Am I against that? No, per se. But most people get into trouble and they get outside of the doctrinal moorings of the Bible when they start preaching topical messages because I can find pretty much whatever I want to preach in the Word of God if I cherry-pick verses out of order and say, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. You need to be careful because context settles everything. So, I believe the Word of God should be preached. The Scripture, they were very... They were dedicated to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' doctrine. They devoted themselves to that. First was the teaching of the apostles. Just as the apostles had been instructed by Jesus, they passed along the instruction to the new Christians. This would include subjects as the resurrection, the Old Testament Scriptures, Christian witness. Now, the past, some of the Bible had not been penned yet, no doubt about it. It was not canonized into a formal book until 393 A.D. But there were traditions that was passed along. There were transcripts that were given. And they used that in the early church. The Old Testament Scriptures, the witnesses, and surely their experiences during Jesus' ministry were, were being taught. The apostles' doctrine and teaching. This means the inspired teaching of the apostles delivered orally at the first church we find here. We find in our Bible that the Bible says Scripture is inspired as God breathed. All Scripture is, in, is breathed out by the God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness. The church is a place where God's Word is proclaimed, explained, and applied. And it needs to be that way. So we find one of the characteristics, do not miss this, if you miss this, you miss everything I'm going to speak on. The Word of God has to be the center of all doctrine and practice of the church. I will say this, that is our church. We, we follow the, the, the teachings of the Bible, all faith and practice, the 2000 Baptist faith and message. We adopted and it's part of who we are. The Bible. I have nothing to say. You know what you ought to be able to do? You ought to be able to take the bylaws of a church, the constitution of a church, and set it forward 300 years from now, and you shouldn't have to modify it all. It ought to be applicable 300 years as it is today. Because the Bible doesn't change. 
The Bible doesn't need to be corrected. It doesn't need to be adjusted. God said He settled it and we find it right here. So a church must major on it. And I'm telling you, conservative, liberal, new evangelical churches get this all messed up sometimes. Getting back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Number two. Now, if you are a student of the Bible and you've studied the Word of God, you will never find fellowship not a part of it. They're always meeting, always having dinners, always together, always in, in groups. Jesus met in groups. There was fellowship there. If we are going to look at becoming a New Testament church, following that, fellowship is a huge part of the local church. Church growth movement, which came out of liberalism, I, correctly, they should have come out of that in the 40s. Professor, I think, Octingay said in 1957, he talked about, you know, the, the social gospel and kind of a lot of the, the mainline churches went south. And so in a knee-jerk reaction, churches came together and were so worried about um, being a social gospel, it was... It was all just about a preaching service, a preaching service. And that's not really, we don't find that in the Bible. Yes, we find preaching. We find a church ought to preach and rear back. And I settled that in the first point. But guess what? There's fellowship. It's not an event to attend. It's to be worshipped. To be shared. To do life together. We see that. So we find that the church was devoted to fellowships. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The second activity is the Greek word cornea. This comes to the association or communion. Fellowship or close relationship. They were where with other believers. This is where discipleship takes place. This is where they learn about their spiritual life. It's hard to, to love God and love people and not be around people. The early church did life together. You'll find no place in the Bible in early church history where people came to a service, sat and left. They fellowshiped together. They did life together. The evidence of new life is the desire to be around the people of God. It doesn't mean you have to de-emphasize preaching. It doesn't mean you have to de-emphasize church services at all. But they had fellowship together. The third thing we find here is they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now there's some, some differences of opinion, maybe what this means. Let me just read it to you again. Teaching of the fellowship and the breaking of bread. I believe he's talking about the Lord's table, recognizing they were, remember, they were going to the Jewish temple during the day. They were hearing the Torah. The, they were doing what they were doing. It was hard to walk away from what they had always been raised from, but they were hearing that, and they were going to these houses, they were breaking bread, and it says the word and, and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They broke bread together. They recognized, they had a time where they recognized the crucifixion. They would, they would break bread together, and they would pray and recognize the communion of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, which we do here once a month. We see that. 
It wasn't simply eating meals together. We'll talk about that in a minute. We know they observed the Lord's Supper. They remembered the sacrifice of Jesus and it kept their focus on Him. We understand this was a very common practice in the early church and it still continues to this day. That's why we call it one of the two ordinances of the church. Baptism is one. The Lord's Supper is the other. Number four, the church was devoted to prayer. Prayer. Praying church. Oh, we have missed the boat in that one in this church. I can tell you, we throw it in at the end. I am guilty. We talked about having Friday fast and praying and that kind of never got off the ground. I'd like to see it happen. You know, you talk to churches and persecuted communities. You know what you find? They pray. They pray. There's a lot. There's a lot to pray for. They prayed together. The church was a praying church. Breaking of bread and prayers. There's a man named Sadake Johnson. He's a, he is from uh, West Africa. And he talks about how the churches, they have every Friday they fast. Once a month they fast for a whole day. Once a year they fast for, try to fast as much as they can for a week. And you ought to see the great movement of God in his part of the country. We've relegated prayer to an add-on to what we're already doing. If that. Praying individually and corporately. Praying needs for others. I heard a preacher on a podcast this week was going through an absolute nightmare at his church. It was, it was awful. And he said, I sat in my chair for hours in a day staring out the wall and just staring out the wall, staring out the window and praying. And then as the Lord brought things to my mind, I'd get my phone and say, I need to apologize to this person. I need to pray for this person. And one of his, his wife would say she kept getting these text messages from her husband. And she goes, he must be praying. <laughs> he must be praying. Gentlemen, let me ask you this. Your wives would flip over they would do backflips if you would pray and tell them what is going on in your own life. How many of you are praying? How many of you seriously pray? Do you give time to prayer? It's not what it should be. The early church was a praying church. No, notice everything I've talked to, maybe except the Bible, is really not even practiced in the church that much today. Think about that. Great revivals have started on prayer meetings. Prayers. They express complete dependence on the Lord for their worship, their guidance, their preservation, and their service. The church was a praying church. Think about it. I have a place to pray and a time to pray. I'm leading some D groups. Some of you are in here this morning that's in one of my D groups. And we talk about prayer. We talk about getting a hold of God. I talk about our devotions using acronyms SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. 
Do you write things down? Does a church that doesn't pray really expect God to bless it? Seriously? Oh, you can get the numbers. But it's shallow. It means nothing. Church attendance is over preferences and the way we always did it rather than what does God's Word say? Not realizing that other people may not think like you. I'll just find my little tribe and go to my tribe. See, the church was a praying church. Number five. Now we know that the miracles that were performed by the apostles as the New Testament church went on were done away with. I'm not, nobody here is healing anybody. At least we don't heal. God heals, right? We know that you know, we, we don't have, we don't see the manifestation of miracles like we saw in the first part of Acts. But it doesn't take away that the church was all inspiring. And all came upon every soul in many wonders. I'll talk about that in just a second. And signs were being done through the apostles. We see that the power of the Holy Spirit was so evident the hearts were hushed. One writer said this and subdued. Astonishment filled the souls as they saw the apostles performing signs and wonders. Wonders were miracles which existed, which, excuse me, which excited the wonder and amazement. Signs were miracles designed to convey instruction. They saw the church. Now, we don't see that here, but is there any awe and amazement in a church? Seeing transformation in people's lives. Somebody who's pulled out of darkness into light, whose priorities have changed, whose life has changed, whose daily schedule is based upon what does God's Word say and what does God say for me to do? That's an awe. That's a change. That is a transformation. God is moving. From the end of June to October, we had a great thing happen in our church. We had numbers of people being baptized. And you know, you wonder, is it ended? No, let's keep going. But you know, God has to do things. And it's amazing when you see that, how, how it lights people up. Baptizing people from their 70s down to the 18 years old. Seeing people going from light to darkness. That's a church that's awe-inspiring. Let me tell you what will kill a church. Look here, please. Apathy. Apathetic. I have a missionary friend of mine. He's an independent Baptist missionary. And he said to me, he visits small churches all over the United States. And he says he'll walk into a church and he says within 10 minutes I can tell you if that church is going to be dead or not. I said, how is that? Because it's apathetic. Or they're alive. Seeing God work. It's interesting how we can life-changing people can bring life to the church. And that's what we see here in the book of Acts. We see there was life there. There was excitement. There was joy. We see that. The world is dying and going to hell. We have the truth. 
We have the answer. Let's show it to our community by the way we treat each other and by what we expose on our faces. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to buy a product and not that we're selling anything? I don't equate that. I always get somebody who's going to be critical and want to do an illustration. You're going to buy a product and the person there has their arms folded and says, yeah, you want that? I don't want that. He, has, he doesn't even believe in his own thing. Now, maybe he does, but it's not coming across or she. And I'm not saying we all have to be zippity-doo-dah all the time. Look, there's times it's been recent. I didn't want to get up and preach anymore. Be straight up. I have to get up here and preach. I've got to be awe-inspiring. I've got to be the angelic cheerleader. I have to say, rah, rah, ree, it's all good. No, it's not. It stinks. Sometimes. I feel better today. <laughs> Especially now that football season's over. And I believe Ohio State's going to make it to the national championship game. We'll see. How many of you want that to happen? Raise your hand. Come on, I know who you are. Real high. How many of you don't want Ohio State to make it to the national championship? Raise your hand. Wow. Say that again. Pity those souls. How many of you don't care? Really pity your soul. Everyone, when it says they were spot, everyone probably refers to those outside the Christian community who are awed by the apostolic miracles. Wonders and signs were pointing to Christ. Number six, the church was united and generous. Look what it says here. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They shared. They, they gave. They helped each other. They helped when people were down. By the way, everybody look here. Every eyeball on me. You can't help people you do not know. They had to have the fellowship in order to know who they were. I visited a church not that long ago. It was a fairly large church. I mean, it was like going to a Football game or soccer match. You sit in a pew, you sit in a chair. You had a you know music and and then everybody. You didn't know anybody. I think a church can be very large and have fellowship, and a church can be very small and have no fellowship. It's not the size. Verse forty-five, and they are selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, the local church building, if you want to call it, hadn't been formed, but they were giving to those that were there and the needs of that ministry. They were selling their possessions and belongings. The needs of the church people were being met. They were together. They were united. By the way, they weren't all the same. They were together in the community. They had a strong emphasis on unity. This was unity in theology and oneness and doctrine and Bible teaching. But it doesn't mean they were uniform. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. Unity means that we're, 
The state of being joined together as a whole. Unity is different from uniformity. Uniformity says where everybody's just the same. I don't know about you, but I'm a lot different than most of you. Same thing with you. Somewhere in some places, everybody has to be the same about everything. I had people during COVID that would leave the church because we're not unity with what they believe. I said, look, there's other people that don't believe that in this church. And I watched one group do this one, one group do this one. I'm going, where's the unity behind Christ? One says we have to wear masks. The other one says they're from the devil. I says, where's then the gospel? Both of them are wrong. Unity. It's not uniformity. If you want to be uniformity, what you'll do is you'll go an island unto yourself and every, when somebody's not like you, kick them off the island. It's like the guy who was, it was, I think I said this a while back, there was a guy years ago, he told this story, he said it was a guy who was a shipwreck. There were two people shipwrecked on, the, on a desert island, deserted island. And finally they're rescued five years later. And the boat comes to rescue him and they said, wow, what's that building? He says, that's my church. And he says, where's the other guy? He says, he's got his other church. Two guys. It's supposed to be funny. The point is, we're not all alike. But we can be united together in doctrine and body and practice. Give an example. I was at the Baptist Resource Network annual convention back in October. Some folks in our church came. And there were Asians there. Asian churches in Philadelphia, all around the Philadelphia area. They believe the same doctrine message we have. But their church service is totally different than ours. I mean, they're very formal. I mean, they're all, you know, they're, they're formal, suits and ties. They have a certain, almost liturgical, but they love the Lord. And we're, we're in unity with them. And then you go to the suburbs of Philadelphia. It's different. They were uniform with them, but they're a little different, a little more casual, a little more contemporary. But yet we're in the same, we're all serving and going the same direction. And then you get to the country churches in Potter County and all those other places. First of all, they sound like they're from Georgia. I don't even know who they are, but we're, they have a different way of doing church. They're, but who says we're supposed to all do church the same way? We need to be united. But we're not uniform. Uniformity destroys fellowship. I have a, a grow group, and a, excuse me, our, our, not a grow group, a seed group that meets tonight it's interesting and a bunch of you are in here that are in my group and they're we're, we're completely different on a lot of things from our taste and everything but you know what we're united in the cause of christ number seven the church met together frequently they met together frequently look what it says here and day by day attended the temple Together and breaking bread and to here and breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with gladness, with glad and generous hearts. The church now was in existence and their ties with the Jewish temple were not severed immediately. The process of throwing off one writer says the grave clothes of Judaism continued through all the book of Acts. Read it. And the believers continued to attend the services in the temple where they heard the Old Testament expounded. 
But in addition, they met in homes and functioned, breaking bread together, and that was the start of the New Testament church. They did not go to the temple to hear the Baptist preacher preach, as I've heard spoken. They would have been killed. They were severed. That was some of that was being severed. It says there, anyway, so the point is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As to their home life, we read, they broke bread, taking their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. It seems in this particular portion, on this particular verse, it could very well be they had meals together. The church here met frequently. How many of us, church is the, not the default of everything, and I'm not being critical here, but I just want to say it needs to be a priority in your weekly attendance. Meeting together, corporately meeting. I'm not against you all that are watching online, but it's very difficult to look at the New Testament church and say that's a church. Very hard. One of the things the church struggled with after COVID was getting people to actually not say, well, we got up late today. We'll have coffee and donuts for the kids and we'll watch the preacher. I'm not saying that shouldn't be done for people that are sick or that shouldn't be done for people that are not able to get out. One very good preacher friend of mine said at his church, we're not doing this here, but at his church. And it's a larger church than ours. He's going to show the online service on Sunday night. He's stopping the live service because he said it's just so many people are just watching it at home. And the fellowship is not what it used to be. So think about that, about priorities. And we'll see. Lastly, the church was joyous. And we see that in the church. Acts 2.47, they said they're praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who would be saved. One of the sub-themes of Acts is joy. Nine times, nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times, nine times, the church is identifying the book of Acts as being joyful. Acts 5.41, Acts 8.8, Acts 8.39. I can go on and on and on. Joy. It doesn't mean that everything's going well and I'm almost done. I'm landing this plane, I promise you, but listen to me. The church should be joyful. Thank God for joyful people at Walnut Creek Baptist Church. When I'm down, they lift me up. Sometimes I get a card or I'll get something in my office and I'll say, man, I needed that today. Are you the type of person that does that? The joyful, the joy of coming. We have the truth. We have God's word. We have salvation. The Lord is transforming our lives. Why would we not want to be joyful? Seriously. Oh, give me some of that. Really? I don't want to ever get over being saved. Ever. Ever. I'll close with this. My wife and I went to my daughter's church. They just moved to another church they're trying out and they've only been there a short period of time. So we went to this church. And I drove in. And by the way, I didn't agree with everything the church did, but I know they're solid-bodied. I like the church. And you know what I found? About 500 people attended the service we were at. By the way, that's a really small church where we're at, where they're from. Really small. 
I counted about 70 to 90 people serving. And I went up to the guy who's head of us. I said, how do you get these smiling, serving faces? And he says, we love God, we love others. And guess what we do? When people get saved, we get them involved right away. Because we want them to know the Christian life is about serving. I'm going to have a meeting with him short this week to find out. How do you do that? Now, we have a lot of people serving here. Percentage-wise, maybe close to that here. I'm not saying that. And if you're serving, it's great. But as church is to be served, you're supposed to be serving. My pastor at other church in New Jersey says, some people says, sit, soak, and sour. And by the way, everybody knows who they are. Is that you? Is that me? By the way, I think I've expressed that recently. And I apologize for that. So they served. They were joyful. And it says here, it says they had favor with all the people. They were, there was an uh, outreach going out. And the Lord added to the number day by day as those that were being saved. The Bible Believer's Commentary said this, says the life had become an anthem of praise and a psalm of thanksgiving for those who had been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of, of the Son of God and His love. That's the church. Think about that. So God is so good. So I want to leave this with you. Somewhat a convicting message. And by the way, everybody look here and I am dumb. And I know I run long. Some of you are reminding me by pointing at your watch and doing this. No, nobody did that. I'm sorry. My wife did. Nobody else did. But can I say this and I'm done? I fail on every one of those except for the first one. I, personally, if I can admit it and I'm the leader, how about you? I'm not pointing my finger at anybody but me. A message I preach that I have to stand up and say, maybe I haven't been the pastor this church deserves. Maybe I haven't. Yes, there's been some issues that aggravate the daylights out of me. Maybe I've handled it the wrong way. But before you get on your high horse and point your phony fingers at me, how about thinking about yourself? Think about it. How are you? Think about this. One of the sub-things of Acts is joy. Looking at the early church, we must... Say, what kind of church is our church? I love our church. We've got great people. We're serving the Lord. There's excitement going on. Let me ask this. What kind of church member are you when you line it up to the first church? Think about it. Thanks for joining us today. And it is our prayer that the message was both encouraging and edifying for your life. If you would like more information about our church, or better yet, would like to know about how to make Jesus your personal Savior, please reach out and email us at office at wcbaptist.com. If you live in the Erie, Pennsylvania area, we would love to have you join our worship service at 10 a.m. each Sunday. Once again, thanks for joining us, and until next time, we hope you have a great day.